0: Have you ever wondered if we are alone in the universe? Is there any scientific evidence showing that an intelligent designer created the heavens and the earth? Welcome to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910. You may have heard about the debate over intelligent design and Darwinism. Find out what the evidence says about the origin of life and mankind, and just what the experts are saying. Darwin or Design, brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Society. Now your host, the author of Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College in Trinity, Florida, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to
1: Darwiner Design, the program that comes to you each week to brief you on the borderland between the Christian faith, the concepts of uh, belief in God as a creator, and the evidence that is pouring in from the scientific world, uh, pivoting on the question of whether we were designed by some intelligent agent or the other hypothesis uh, that has been around for about 150 years is that we are the result of kind, kind of mindless, brainless, unintelligent processes, the idea of Darwinism. Or neo-Darwinism, if we want to be technical. But this is the program that comes to you, courtesy of the C.S. Lewis Society. I'm Tom Woodward, your host each week. It is my privilege and honor to be able to pilot this ship through the, uh, you might say, learning space of uh, Darwin or design issues. And we have with us on the other end of the line from Texas, and I'm not exactly sure which uh, Hamlet, which town in Texas, but uh, Dr. Bill Demsky, uh, the co-author of the new book, Design of Life, the design of Life, which was just produced a little over a month ago, I believe, from the Foundation for Thought and Ethics. And so we want to thank uh, Bill Dembski for joining us on the program. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate uh, Dr. Dembski coming on board. My pleasure. And I wanted to just uh, give a little background. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, uh, Bill, for the boost you gave my book by doing the foreword to Darwin Strikes Back, which came out just over a year ago. And, of course, for also making the tricks. uh, Many of the people uh, that listen to this program remember seeing you at the program that was held at the Sundome Arena here at University of South Florida called Darwin or Design. We appreciate you uh, doing the kickoff on that. So um, I wanted to jump right in since we are probably at the time this program will air we will be in the vigo uh, phase, the last phase, the, the two towns in Spain where I will be speaking on the issue of scientific evidence that is running against Darwinism. Uh, the city of Vigo has just uh, let us know today, uh, the, at least the University of Vigo, that we will not be permitted to give our lectures on their campus. They have uh, canceled our contract. Uh, the uh, main newspaper that is published in Madrid, Spain, has just, as it were, blared uh, misinformation through an article that that was published just a matter of hours ago. And so also the city of León, the great University of León, has also canceled our talks uh, as of this morning. So we will be, in the coming days as I fly to Spain, we'll be scrambling to find other venues. And, of course, this has given us free publicity like we couldn't even imagine. Uh, Although, of course, it is very sad that two major Spanish universities uh, would not even check out the facts, but that they would go with this kind of hostile attack in the newspaper against the presentations that I will be giving, the lectures that I'll be giving in Leon and Vigo uh, through the auspices of the PSSI, the Physicians and Surgeons for Scientific Integrity, which is the sponsoring organization. So uh, we're in a very uh, exciting, uh, sometimes hostile, sometimes uh, challenging, uh, with testy exchanges from both sides. Uh, Bill Dembski, give us your view, your overview, your kind of insight into what is going on in the scientific world with pronouncements right and left, that people should not abandon Darwinism, people should consider us as, you know, either fanatics or kooks or something worse. What's going on? Give us your capsule summary of what is the situation now in this issue over Darwinian evolution.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What was it? Was it Gandhi who said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win? I think we're we're at the fight stage. (laughs) And uh, I I was uh, at a conference about a year ago, Grove City College. uh, Ron Numbers, very well-known historian of science, was there. And I think he said at that time that there had been 110 Formal denunciations by scientific societies against intelligent design. So it's. Uh, I think what we're seeing is not really m- much engagement with the issues. In fact, uh, I think there's, there's almost a sense in which a lot of people are even refute- refusing to read our literature, lest it somehow infect their minds, or then they'd be responsible for actually engaging the position constructively. And, okay. Uh, rather, uh, they, they just they're just saying blanket dismissal this isn't science we have a scientific consensus uh if you attack darwinism that's an assault against reason and science itself so uh you know uh, it, it, it's just i think trying to shut down the discussion now uh, i think that's that's what you get for public consumption mm-hmm. uh when you actually read uh the more technical literature you find that uh, that actually the the field is in disarray. That's uh, the, you're, you're, the talking, you're, talking
1: about the, you're talking about the Darwinian field is in disarray. The Darwinian field, in yeah,
2: the field of evolution, that, mm-hmm. the, that the power of natural selection seems to be severely compromised, that uh, all sorts of things that would not have been expected on a Darwinian model are popping up. Uh, junk DNA, which is not junk, according to Darwinian expectations, the DNA should be cobbled together over long evolutionary histories. A lot of junk would accumulate because it would be easier just to carry it along, as it were, phylogenetic inertia rather than uh, uh, excise it by careful editing. Uh, that's not supposed to be a power that uh, Darwinian processes have, and yet there seems to be just a lot of what previously was junk DNA, which is no longer junk DNA. So a lot of expectations are biting the dust, but in terms of public consumption, there is this this uh, this this uh, happy face, as it were, that's being put on Darwinism. Uh, I think a really good example of that is Francisco Ayala's most recent book, uh, Darwin's Gift to Science and Theology, which is basically an apologetic for Darwinism and an attack on intelligent design. But it's very simplistic. I mean, it doesn't admit or it doesn't highlight any of the deeper problems that evolutionary theory faces, which Ayala admits to, in his more measured and reasoned uh, work, you know so it 's a propaganda piece, and I think we we 're seeing lots and lots of propaganda from the scientific community these days
1: well, Bill, it really appears that there is a, almost a disconnect then uh, between like I, I like the way you put that a happy face. I was almost thinking of a smiley face sticker covering up the chaos, the weird findings pouring out from. Uh, let's say, the scientific studies that are just accelerating. And uh, I appreciate your bringing that out. And just jump right into your book, The Design of Life. And I know that our sponsoring uh, agency, the C.S. Lewis Society, which sponsors this weekly program, has had a long relationship with your, the publisher of your new book, The Foundation for Thought and Ethics. So tell me a little bit about the, uh, the background. The Design of Life has quite a story to this book. And apparently, you guys, you and Jonathan Wells and some of the other people you work with really labored to put together a state-of-the-art book on this topic. Am I right?
2: You're you're absolutely right. Uh, turns out that uh, the Foundation for Thought and Ethics has published a book called Of Pandas and People. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was initially commissioned to write what became The Design of Life, it was to be a sequel to Of Pandas and People. Of Pandas and People was really the first supplemental textbook dealing with intelligent design. It was the basis for the um, the Dover case, which uh, made international headlines. There's a mm-hmm. recent PBS program, Judgment Day Against Intelligent Design. Anyway, uh, that was the basis for it, and so this was to be the sequel to it. Initially, it was going to be a third edition, but it quickly became a book of its own. As it is, only about a third of the book really is uh, draws from of Canada's and people. Two-thirds is completely new. What's taken from the old book is completely rewritten, mm-hmm. completely updated. Uh, and it really is state of the art. I mean, it's. Uh, I see it as kind of the uh, an updating of Michael Denton's evolution of theory in crisis, really showing why evolutionary theory is in such bad shape. Wow. But then also providing the intelligent design alternative. I mean, this is one of the things that happens in science. Usually, when the scientists have a theory, they're not, and and the theory gets in trouble. They don't want to say, well, gee, I guess we were wrong. What they want is an alternative, so they can jump. <laughs> jump ship and mm-hmm. still, still have have some useful employment, as it were. As the, so Titan-
1: as the Titanic goes down, they want to have a good, solid yeah. ship to set to set its, uh, foot
2: that's, on. That's that's how it is. Mm-hmm. So, so I think we present that there. I mean, the the outlines of a of a, a theory of intelligent design and how it applies, how you can actually apply some of these techniques for design detection and mm. determining the evolvability of systems. So, we we outline that there. And I think, I think it's just a very powerful treat, but it really ends on a high note, the, um, uh, the, the origin of life. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, Darwin had no clue about how life originated. I mean, mm-hmm. for him, the cell, the uh, simplest life form, was basically a blob of jello enclosed by a membrane. And he thought that life could spontaneously evolve no problem. Uh, with the rise of molecular biology... And uh, our understanding of the cell, we now realize that it is incredibly complex, and not just just complex as such, but that we're dealing with nanotechnologies. Really, the, the best that humans have come up with mm-hmm. are, is far exceeded with what with what we find in the cell. In fact, we need to be engineers to understand what's going on inside the cell. So, wow. it's not a big stretch to think that there is real design inside the cell. Anyway, uh, if if you thought that evolutionary theory was in trouble, when you get to the origin of life, you just see that the whole materialistic way of trying to understand life breaks down.
1: Well, I mean, we since we're coming to the end of the segment, let me jump in and just say that uh, this is a fantastic a wetter of our appetite. Uh, in case you just tuned in here to WTBN, this is Darwiner Design. I'm Tom Woodward, your weekly host, and you're listening to the gentleman who, I hope I don't embarrass him too much, has been described as the Albert Einstein of the intelligent design movement. He has an earned doctorate in mathematics from the University of Chicago. He has another earned doctorate in the University uh, of Illinois at Chicago in the philosophy of science. You're listening to uh, William Dembski. Bill Dembski is known as the uh, chief theoretician of the detection mechanism used in literally detecting design. Agencies uh, of an intelligent nature can be detected by their actions, and the filter method of detecting it comes from our guest uh, here on the program today. Bill, can you hang on for a couple more segments? Sure. Okay, thank you. You are listening to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom
0: Woodward. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back to Darwin or Design. It's
1: such a delight to be with you. I'm Tom Woodward, your host. I'm a professor of the rhetoric of science and the history of science at Trinity College of Florida, uh, located up at the north end of Tampa Bay. And I'm also the host of this program. It's uh, been a joy to be able to be with you guys out there uh, listening in regularly. Hopefully you're making it a, a weekly habit on Saturday afternoon to catch the latest science news on this front of Darwin versus design theory. And so uh, we're thankful also to the C.S. Lewis Society an organization which seeks to engage the skeptical community on university campuses especially with the facts, with the pattern of evidence, with good reasons and good arguments for really rethinking the assumption in the university world that God is just a figment of of human imagination. And we show that there's good evidence that the universe was designed uh, by a master architect and intellect of prodigious power and ability. And so we have with us, speaking of an intellect uh, of great prodigious power, Power and ability. We have with us today uh, one of my favorite uh, personal intellectuals, although I, he probably would be preferred as just known as a, as a design theorist, but we're talking on the phone to uh, his home at his home in Texas, Bill Dembski, William Dembski. Some of you know him through his books, The Design Inference, published by Cambridge University Press, a peer-reviewed volume, which really in a way set forth the theory of how mathematically, using mathematics and probability and analysis of a given system, we can detect intelligent agency. And so Bill Dembski further uh, did a number of other books, including Intelligent Design, published by University Press, and also No Free Lunch, I believe that was published, Bill, by Roman Littlefield. Right. Okay. And uh, a number of other books and contributed essays to many other books. Uh, You've been prolific in your research and writing and a great speaker. Uh, I know that uh, you have been very, very busy, of course, Bill, with this new book, The Design of Life. I have it in front of me. It's a fantastic book. I'm into chapter one. I'm almost done with chapter one, hurrying through, burrowing into chapter two, probably as I fly over to Spain to do some lectures. Tell us a little bit more about what's unique and what's really exciting about the book that you and John Wells put together, The Design of Life.
2: Well, I think uh, coverage is is a big part of it. I think there, there are lots of books out there on intelligent design, but they tend to focus on individual pieces of the puzzle, as it were. And I think what you find within, with this book is that it really is a comprehensive treatment, both of the, the weaknesses of standard evolutionary theory and then also what is the positive design alternative. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what made this book so good is that uh, we had initially planned to release it right around the time that things were brewing with this Dover trial, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, became clear that the ACLU was going to be locking up the text. They, they got a copy of it during the discovery phase. Mm. Uh, basically, it's put us behind about a year and a half in trying to get this book out, but in doing so it just became clear especially since the other side had a preliminary draft that we just needed to make this book so much better than we initially did and so it's uh you know so we uh, i think what what you've got is just uh, state of the art we've treatments we've got the, the most recent literature is cited uh, we, we take these ideas of design detection and actually trace them through some real concrete systems with complete detail. And it's, it's something, I think the... the these methods of design detection, they depend on probabilities. And the problem is, in biology, assigning probabilities to biological systems is not like assigning probabilities to coin tossing. I mean, It's mm-hmm. much trickier. And, in fact, this has been one of the standard criticisms. Well, you can't really assign probabilities. Well, yes, we can. You know, it's a difficult problem, but it's not an, an insuperable problem. And so we actually do that. And so there's, there's actually, I would say, some original research even in that book you know, so we've uh, it really it it it's state of the art. I mean, often I think when when you read books, you're you're looking at work that's about three four years out of date. But uh, this I think really gives you the full picture of what
1: intelligence. Okay, is about. so so in in effect, what we have in this book, and let me just again, repeat that this is a state of the art summary of the case for. Intelligent design of life in general and of the major categories of living things and uh, would that be a fair statement?
2: Yeah, I mean, but it's you're looking also at the origin of life. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the question of life, how, we, how it got here, how it diversified, the complexity, all those aspects are, are
1: treated. Okay, and one of the key ways to detect intelligence is to look at specified complexity. And specified complexity, which I was just speaking about in my class at Trinity College about three hours ago, is a pattern of some physical system that... That is rather complicated. In other words, it has a lot of parts, a lot of elements to it, and yet each each of the parts or at least a significant number of those parts and elements have to be thus so in other words it has to be this letter and not any old letter. I can't just put out a random sequence of letters. If I'm writing an essay or if I'm writing to my wife an email, I have to specify this letter, then this letter, then this letter, and DNA and RNA, the living um, string-like protein, uh, DNA, RNA protein molecules within our cells are like that. And I think that what I hear you saying, Bill Dembski, is that specified complexity is one of the keys of detecting design. Is that uh, well-developed in this book?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a full chapter on specified complexity. I mean, the idea is that you something is complex and specified if it's hard to reproduce by chance, but it's uh, conceptually easy or tractable to, to describe it. So you have, uh, as it were, simplicity of description, but uh, complexity in terms of improbability of trying to reproduce it. And when you have that, I mean, it may seem counterintuitive, that uh, criterion, but once, once once you develop it and, and then apply it to biological systems, you see that it actually does work and that uh, it not only uh, identifies uh, the activity of an intelligent agent, but it also uh, gives the lie, as it were, to uh, to evolutionary standard evolutionary processes. These these blind evolutionary processes—they're not adequate to produce this type of information. Specified complexity is a form of information. And we we know that it's beyond the reach mm-hmm. of these chance-based evolution evolutionary mechanisms.
1: So information coded in the DNA is not just a couple words, or paragraphs. It's like volumes, or it's like you know books, I guess.
2: Well, it's volumes, but it's also of a of a quality of information that you you can't get by this sort of blind search. You know, I think it's. Uh, I mean, you can get information just by randomly. Tossing coins. I mean, you'll get information, but it's not the type of information that's relevant to biology.
1: Well, we're talking to Bill Dembski, Dr. William Dembski, who earned, uh, as I said earlier, two doctorates, one in mathematics, uh, another one in the philosophy of science. He also threw in a degree from Princeton Seminary in the early 1990s, if I recall correctly. And Bill Dembski, author of many books, has the newest book out, the hottest, most important book out on the topic of intelligent design, co-authored with Jonathan Wells, who has appeared on this program as well, The Design of Life. you can get this book um, on a website, Bill. What's the website?
2: Yeah, best place to get it, cheapest place is uh, thedesignoflife.net. So, www.thedesignoflife, the design of life, all one word. .net. Okay. And uh, you can order it there. There's also a lot of good information about it. There's a blog there uh, discussing the
1: book. So that's the place to go. Okay. And we want to probe a little bit this area of uh, alternatives. Now, Darwinian theorists out there sometimes say, well, you know, intelligent design isn't the only alternative, we're working on other alternatives like something called self-organization, a guy named Stuart Kaufman of, of um, you know, university, formerly of University of Pennsylvania. I believe he's been affiliated with the Santa Fe Institute out in New Mexico. Uh, Bill, will you give us a kind of a quick take on uh, what you think of this kind of uh, self-organization idea, maybe describe it and then critique it, sure. and then tell us if you see any other contenders, you know, sort of for the for the, um, the mantle of Darwin, which seems to be falling to the ground
2: yeah well i think th- those are the the three main options right now i mean there's there's uh, straight up darwinism which makes natural selection the the main uh driving force of evolution so natural selection has to act on some form of random variation within mm-hmm. uh, neo-darwinism that's uh, random genetic changes but there can be other sources of variation as well right. i mean mm-hmm. genetic drift uh, random uh, or uh, lateral gene transfer. There are lots, lots of different mechanisms that can be co-opted by uh, natural selection. But um, there, there is a group of scientists. They're not, certainly not in the majority. Uh, Stuart Kaufman is representative there. He's presently at University of Calgary. He's got a uh, complexity lab center there. But uh, they think that matter is endowed with uh, inherent self-organizational properties which, uh, which facilitate the formation of life. And uh, basically, they, what they do is they look to uh, certain self-organizing systems from physics, like the Zabotinsky... Belusov reactions or there's uh, uh, the...
1: The what reactions? Yeah,
2: there, there, there are various reactions. Okay. Uh, and you've got, there, there's also a uh, salt convection where if you basically heat like uh, tomato soup on a uh, in a frying pan, you'll you'll notice hexagonal cells forming. So are those are, the, are those
1: processes. the are those the Bernard cells?
2: Those are the Bernard cells.
1: Okay, yeah. I talk about, I talk about them I, in my book. I, yeah. I
2: did all this stuff in the late mm-hmm. '80s. I worked with uh, Leo Kadanoff in the physics department at University of Chicago. I was one of his students. Uh, I was both in physics and math, and uh, I got my PhD in math. But I was in his lab, and so uh, you you have uh, basically these uh, these uh, self-organizing systems, they serve as a metaphor as it were for biology. The thing is what are these self-organizational processes when it comes to actual biological systems? And basically they don't know. I mean uh, it's, uh, you know, what what is going to self-organize into brute chemicals into some Uh, nucleotides or then then Mm -hmm. put those nucleotides into some sort of biologically significant sequence. There are no self-organizational processes that are known to do that. It's just that we know that there are self-organizational processes in physics and we hope that something like that is working in biology. But when it comes right down to it, when you actually look at the systems these self-organizational people put together mm-hmm. it's they who put them together right. with their intelligence mm-hmm. and then you get you get maybe right.
1: something that's bill, a very simple yeah we're, we're about out of time for this segment let me just uh, ask you if you could hang on i'm going to probe this area a little bit more because we haven't even in in my estimation gotten to some of the most exciting questions i've reserved the best for last so after a short break we'll be right back with bill demsky on darwin or design
0: Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward.
1: Welcome back to Darwin or Design. We have a very special program today with a very special guest, uh, William Dembski, Dr. William Dembski. I know him as Bill because we were uh, got acquainted actually at Princeton University, where we were sponsoring some talks by a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, who came there around 1990, and uh, it's been an exciting journey ever since to work with and to exchange um, scholarly discussions now and then with Bill Dembski. Uh, Bill, thanks for joining us in the midst of your busy afternoon there. And Texas. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, let me just jump back to some key, but you may be a somewhat basic, but still very, very important questions. If you were a junior high or high school student, Or let's say advising a junior high or high school student or just somebody out there that doesn't have a lot of background in this whole area of intelligent design and their dialogue, their controversial debate with Darwinian evolution. What would be a couple of the most important crash courses that they could avail themselves out of. In other words, what videos, what books Uh, we've been talking about the design of life and I think that's fantastic but if you had a short list, maybe three, four, five key books what would you say?
2: Yeah, uh I would still say get, get the design of life mm-hmm. even though I think at the junior high level it might be quite demanding. I mm-hmm. think there's still a lot there that would be accessible and it's, it would be good to have it as a, as a resource or reference mm-hmm. work. Now, uh, in terms of uh, things that are out there, I think if you want a quick overview of intelligent design uh, and, and not just biological design but also cosmological design. So mm-hmm. Thinking of it, of it as a broader program, I would go with Denise O'Leary's book by design or by chance question mark mm-hmm. uh, i think that's that's a real good one uh, i've got a book that i'm doing with uh, sean mcdowell josh mcdowell's son josh is actually uh... writing the the forward to it called understanding intelligent design and that's geared toward high school students and also sunday school classes mm-hmm. uh, that'll be coming out uh... i think uh, probably this summer uh, oh. harvest house so that's that's one i'd be looking for you um, know, I think uh, the book that I did called The Design Revolution, it's basically a question and answer book. I think that would be better uh, perhaps at the high school level, but there, there are lots and lots of objections that have been raised against mm-hmm. intelligent design, and this book uh, deals with those objections. Basically, it's a book of 44 questions, lots mm-hmm. so of questions I get asked when I talk about intelligent design on college campus.
1: Right, and of course, The Design Revolution is a book that I strongly quoted from. I mean, I quoted so much from that book in my book, uh, Darwin Strikes Back, that I actually had to get official permission from InterVarsity <laughs> to, as it were, break through that limit where you actually have to say, oh, yeah, we we, we give a permission. Would you also recommend the um, Unlocking the Mystery of Life video DVD?
2: That, that, that's just a terrific video. I mean, I think just as a quick introduction, you mm-hmm. watch it in an hour and I think it'll just knock your socks off. Okay. You'll, you'll, you'll see that. And, you know, I'd, i I'd I'd recommend your books. I mean, if you want to get a sense of the history of the movement, how how we got to where we are, uh, I think both your book uh, Doubting Darwin and then... Doubts uh,
1: doubts about Darwin? uh,
2: Doubts about Darwin and then the... the, the most recent one about Darwin Strikes Back, you know,
1: mm-hmm. I think, are, are very useful. Well, thank you. And, and you think think said that you said that without me paying you or prompting no, you. No, <laughs> no. But you
2: know, the thing is, I, I I think it's important to have a sense of the the history of mm-hmm. of ideas and mm-hmm. how we we get to where we are. You know, and so I'm, I'm not just saying that you, mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't flip he didn't flip me anything <laughs> under the table, folks. So it's uh, this is this is, uh, this is said sincerely. So. Okay,
1: well thank you. Well, yeah. let's go into some of the typical put-downs because we're hearing right and left. Put down, put down, put down right here and now. I mean like right now this month the standards, new science standards are being considered and then eventually voted on at the state level on benchmarks, on new requirements across the state of Florida in this very area. And of course, instead of referring to change over time, they're referring to it under the name Darwinism or I guess you should say evolution. But what's really kind of Alarming is that there's not a hint of any I have evidence uh, that the students should hear the conflicting, the negative, the hostile evidence. There isn't even a whiff of it. There's not even the slightest hint of it anywhere in there. And so uh, we're really in the midst of trying to bring light uh, rather than heat to this question. So let me just jump in. If someone were to say uh, in an interview or debate to you, Bill Dembski, well, intelligent design is just... God of the gaps. It's just a case where we have temporary lack of knowledge in this little area over here. We have a little gap. Everything else is explained around it in this little hole, this little gap in knowledge. And so these people are not patient. They will not do the work. They just stick the little word God in there. And of course, once we explain that, God will look bad. And so sometimes you'll even hear Christian theologians say, yeah, intelligent design is just God of the gaps. I know how I answer it, but I'd love to hear how you answer that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there are gaps, and there are gaps. I mean, are we talking a gap in human understanding? Is it a gap that's, that's fundamental in nature, and that the, the sort of resources of evolutionary explanations are going to be inherently incapable of explaining these, these, these gaps that we're finding? Uh, and I think that's, that's really the, the issue. Uh, is, it, is it just ignorance? I mean, and how do they know that these methods of Darwinian, these Darwinian explanations uh, can... Are really form a complete theory which will be able to account for all these things. You know, I mean, th- this idea that somehow Darwinism has been this just overwhelmingly vindicated, overwhelmingly confirmed theory that basically it's explained just about everything, and then there are just these few pockets of ignorance. Uh, I think that's just a, a gross misconception. I think when w- when you actually look at some of the, the the critics of Darwinism who are not design people, but who just look at the theory dispassionately, I mean, you see things like. Um, uh, 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 Franklin Harold, cell biologist at Colorado State University, in his book *The Way of the Cell*, Oxford University Press, two thousand and one publication date. Uh, toward the end of the book, he says we have to dismiss intelligent design out of camp. Can't go there. But then he says uh, there are currently no detailed Darwinian accounts for any of these complex biological systems. Then he adds only a variety of wishful speculation. I mean, so that doesn't sound to me like a theory that's 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 incredibly successful at explaining things. I mean, what you have is a whole range of phenomena, which, if the theory is right, should be explained by it, but which, which, where the theory offers no insight into these systems. What systems are we talking about? Well, we're talking about these molecular systems inside the cell, these molecular machines that Michael Behe uncovered in his book, Darwin's mm-hmm. Black Box. Right. So it's, uh, so, you know, to say, I mean, the, this, this idea of gaps, they could be gaps in our knowledge, but they could be gaps in nature. And how do we know? Mm-hmm. And what's going to decide that? It seems that what has to decide it is evidence, not just some sort of presumption. Sure. Materialistic explanations mm-hmm. are to be preferred always over intelligent design explanations, and therefore we're going to uh, give the the darwinist is, assumes absolutely no burden of evidence or proof i mean that that just seems to me absurd
1: mm-hmm. yeah well i agree i mean I, and of course another thing that when people say that we're just bringing out god keyword god of the gaps the scientific evidence is not really and at least in my view at, at first glance at least the scientific evidence can indicate intelligent agency without writing the name yahweh down as the as the one yeah. that did the, the creating wouldn't that would that be a fair assessment
2: i think that's right and, you know the thing is all the these arguments cut both ways. I mean imagine a SETI researcher, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, who thinks that really we need to explain every signal we get from outer space as the result of natural causes. You know, so you get some signal that is let's say a Shakespearean sonnet in ASCII code and it's like, well, <laughs> hey, we, we've got to figure out how a pulsar could somehow get uh, developed Shakespeare without without there being an intelligence. I mean, you can look for gaps in natural causes, but you could look for gaps in, in, in intelligent causes also why 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 treat uh, in natural causes as somehow this this privileged category of explanation? you know the fact is that study researchers, if they found a signal like that, they would jump on there mm-hmm. being an intelligent mm-hmm. cause they wouldn't look for some sort of gap of uh, intelligence you know it, it, it 's just but when it comes to biology, I think what's, what's driving this is a, an atheistic materialism, because when, when unlike the SETI program, when you're looking at biology, if there's an intelligence involved, it's not going to be an evolved intelligence. You can't explain that intelligence in materialistic terms. And that's right. what I don't like, mm-hmm. because suddenly then science is no longer, a materialistic science is no longer a complete explanation. And so that's, I think, why they go go against it because the, the very same methods of design detection that we use in biology are employed in in the SETI program even though they'll, they'll they'll deny it you know but it's uh, actually treat that in the design of life right so, so it's uh, so you have got this parity of reasoning but they're unwilling to apply that method of reasoning when it comes to biology because it can it, well you know it's it's Theistic-friendly. It doesn't get you, God, but it gets you in the ballpark. Right. They don't even want to be in in that ballpark.
1: Right. And I know that in some of your writings, I mean, you have actually, in trying to trace the possible connections or relationship between... Christianity or Christian theology on one side of this discussion, and then over here we have design theory, which by its very nature cannot stipulate the who. It can stipulate a designer, but it doesn't have the necessarily, does not necessarily have the tools uh, nor the data within its grip to tell you who the designer is. Is it uh, a fair statement to say that intelligent design? doesn't rest on religious premises, but it, re- but it raises religious questions. Is that, a, is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah, I'd say it has implications, theological implications, metaphysical implications, but uh, it, it, there's a scientific core to it which can be taken on its own terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there, are there reliable methods of design detection? Uh, do they apply to biology? I mean, that, that was, I think, one of the beauties of my, my initial work in this because I, I just posed the question, are there ways of detecting design? And once you have these methods of detection, doesn't force biology to be designed. I mean, it might be that these methods show that there's design. It might be that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's nothing that's stacking the deck. If anything, what I find is there's a stacking of of the deck on the other side, Darwinist, Mm -hmm. where basically design is excluded on first principles.
1: We are really excited to have William Dembski, the chief theoretician, the mathematician, the um, really developer of the new paradigm of intelligent design with us. He's going to stay with us for just a few more seconds here in the fourth segment. Don't go away. The best is yet to come. I'm Tom Woodward, and this is Darwin or Design.
0: Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward.
1: Welcome back to Darwin or Design. I'm Tom Woodward, your host each week, and it's uh, really a special treat to have on the phone with me today uh, one of the most exciting uh, persons I've ever interviewed on this program, Bill Dembski, author of Intelligent Design, The Bridge from Science to Theology, uh, the author of No Free Lunch, the author of The Design Inference, the author of The Design Revolution, and of course now the author of the co-author of the new book, The Design of Life, which we're featuring as our special emphasis book this past month and a little bit uh, this month also in January of 2008 so it's great to have Bill Dembski on the phone Bill I want to ask you just a few more questions and we'll let you go back to your uh, writing and researching uh, whatever you're doing out there today in Texas what is your best answer when someone comes up and says well look Dr. Dembski this whole design theory is just pure bunk because look at our body uh, look at how poorly designed we are. Uh, to quote the great American astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, look at uh, the the poor construction of our knees and our, you know, joints, and uh, the fact that we don't, our eyes won't pick up ultraviolet. Uh, any good designer would, for example, uh, give us gills so we don't drown. I mean, this is literally what he says in his article, and of course, I, I laugh at that a little bit in Chapter 11 of my book, but what, what do you say when people bring out the, the bad design or the clunky, stupid design argument and say, well, therefore, your designer must not really be a very intelligent designer?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing is to separate the the, the fact of design from the, uh, the, the goodness or optimality of design. Are we dealing with design at all? Mm-hmm. That, that becomes an initial question. And uh, the thing is, design happens at lots of levels. I mean, you can look at the level of whole organ systems and entire organism. You can go right to the cell and subcellular level and look at what's happening with the DNA and the uh, whole replicating system of the, the cell and uh, how uh, DNA uh, is used in the synthesis of proteins. The thing is, any chemist or engineer who looks at those systems inside the cell would say, man, this is, this is just incredible nanotechnology. This is, this is, this is really high-tech stuff. So uh, I don't think those sorts of arguments are going to hold at the at the cellular level, okay? And the thing is, if we're designed at that level, we're designed all the way up. If some subsystem is designed, then the system that, systems that contain those subsystems are designed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I think, you know, the, the question is, well, what, what about the, the human body? You know, is it poorly designed? Is it well-designed? What, what are we talking about? And uh, I think one thing to be aware of is that design always involves constraints. You can't have optimality along every dimension. You know, if you, I mean, what, what is an optimal coat hanger? Is it one made out of gold that looks beautiful? Is it one that's light? Is it one that, that's tough? You, know, you might have a titanium coat hanger. Is it one that's cheap? You know, because you, you know, the thing is you want these mass produced. So you've, you've got all these constraints and the optimal coat hanger, depending on what you're trying to optimize, uh, may yeah, it may not be gold it may not look the best or whatever you know mm-hmm. it's, uh, so I think that's something to, to keep in mind and then when you actually look at individual aspects of the human body I mean you know people have been they, they've been talking about artificial hearts you know we still don't have an artificial heart that we can put in that does better than the heart we have
1: that's a good right? point the
2: best mm-hmm. you've got is three to six months that you can live on an artificial heart. Hmm. I, mean, I thing if you go back 20 years, 25 years ago, they were saying, no problem, we're going to get artificial hearts that are going to be better than the, the real thing. So, you know, whenever I hear these suboptimality arguments, uh, I want to put a challenge and say, okay, design something better. Don't just imagine it. And I think so many of these arguments against optimality of the, the human body are arguments from imagination. I can imagine a better human being who also has guilt. You know, well, mm. you know, okay, now integrate that <laughs> into the body. You know, <laughs> I, mean, here's, I don't think it's, it's that easy. Yeah. Here's uh, a
1: computer, here's a pen and paper, go to it, design yeah, it.
2: You know, and I think this is the difference between biologists and engineers. <laughs> biologists, it seems, evolutionary biologists, they just have to imagine that something could happen by an evolutionary process, mm. and boom, mm. that, that settles it. Engineers wow. have to actually get things to work. It's <laughs> much harder Process, you know, and so I think that this is why I'm actually looking more to engineers to push intelligent design and make it a, a viable enterprise mm-hmm. than the biological community. Wow. But I think you know, right down the line, I mean, joints, you know, the fact that they work, you know, what 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 cars, what instruments do we have that that have the sort of uh, longevity that, that have the self-repair mechanisms that we have with our joints, with our bodies. Mm. You know, and even, I mean, probably the, the, the criticism that's raised most often is is with the eyeball. You yes. know, it's, because it's, it's, it's supposed to be this inverted retina, this reverse mm. wiring, but it yeah. turns out that sight, you need, uh, you need several things to make sight work. You need acuity, you need sensitivity, you need speed, you know, resolution, all these things. And it turns out that having this inverse wiring and having the the, uh, the blood uh, up, right up front where it's giving maximal oxygen, the, the, some of these retinal cells, they require the most oxygen of any cells in the body. Well, you need you know, this, this reverse wiring actually uh, facilitates mm-hmm. sight. You know? So there are actually good functional reasons for having it mm-hmm. that way. You know? wow. so a lot of these suboptimality arguments on closer inspection are arguments from imagination and, in fact, the, the, the design is, is pretty darn good.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me just, d- d- as we wind up our time together, I want to kind of pull everything together in a nice little knot as much as I can. We talked at the beginning in the, in the first segment. Uh, this is Bill Dembski. By the way, if you're jo- joining the program just now, William Demsky is the probably the chief intellectual architect of the underpinnings of design theory. He developed the famous explanatory filter, which uses probability and statistics, uh, Low probability and specification, specifically, uh, to detect intelligent design in any physical system. Now, uh, I, I've been asking Dr. Dembski in our in our broadcast uh, to outline the the great points of the design of life, the new book, the design of life that he has produced recently. But I've wanted to really kind of go back, uh, Bill, to what you said at the outset, uh, where you were talking about how. On the f- front, on the facade, on the face of Darwinian evolution, we have this happy face. We have that everything is fine, you know. Go back to your jobs go back to your little, you know, cubby hole. Don't don't be upset. Everything's just great. And meanwhile, in the back room where all the action is happening, it's in chaos. Uh, so much is happening. Would you consider Michael Behe's recently published book, *The Edge of Evolution*, another? Um, um, event that points out data is not supporting the Darwinian macro theory.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, it's, uh, I think the, the, the big, big thing that it seems that the ID people are hammering on is evolvability. Just how much can you evolve by material mechanisms? I mean, evolution is a theory of process. It says you can get from point A to point B, but you need resources to get from point A to point B. You can't just magically materialize at point B. So are these sorts of resources, natural selection, random variation, is that enough to drive the evolutionary process? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a perfectly legitimate scientific question to ask whether those resources that evolutionists give themselves are adequate. And it seems that over and over again, they're proving inadequate. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of his, mm-hmm. uh, B, his title, Edge of Evolution. At what point can't you, can't you get from point A to point B? You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's the edge you know, where you can't make that transition? Right. And I think it's, it's a very powerful argument that he
1: makes. Uh, d- and in, in writing on the coattails of that question, I, in my book, uh, Darwin Strikes Back, was predicting that uh, by the year 2025... Which is, I guess, we're looming only about say, a little over 16 years from that right now—16, 17 years—that uh, the Darwinian theory would have lost its triumphal kind of numero uno, you know, leader of the pack position, and it will be replaced by one or more competitor paradigms. I mean, it may not be disappear, have disappeared completely. What do you see happening in the next three to five to 10 years? Do you see the Darwinian problems? continuing or even escalating, and what do you see as some of the things that we can look forward to in the next five years?
2: Well, I, I certainly see the problems continuing because I think what you've got is a, some is a, a 19th century ideas that are really inadequate for accounting for the information that we're seeing in biological systems. I think the, the big question is how long can the biological community stonewall mm. and, uh, and keep ideas like intelligent design at bay? Uh, and the thing is, they have vast resources for doing this. I mean, in fact, there, there's some ominous signs across the Atlantic, where you've got uh, European uh, rights councils and uh, European courts, which are already uh, saying that intelligent design uh, poses a threat to human rights. You know, when when you can make
1: that what? linkage,
2: yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's going on. That's crazy. It's it's crazy. Read my blog on Common Descent. Oh my goodness, reporting on that. But uh, it's, uh, so you've, you've got, uh, so Darwinism is being portrayed as this defender of science, rationality, and thereby human rights. <sighs> so if, there, if that linkage can be made, I think we, we might even be looking at some persecution of, of intelligent design proponents. I mean, just look at what, what you're dealing with in, in Spain right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's emblematic. Yes. Uh, but on the other hand, <clears throat> it seems that the truth and the, the strength of the arguments are on our side. And so I'm I I'll be you know I sometimes think that we're looking at the possibility of a Berlin, Berlin wall mm-hmm. collapsing mm-hmm. in the next few years on the other hand it could be that it's uh, that we just have to hunker down and that uh, that the other side will uh, yeah will will use uh really uh, Stalinist, heavy-handed tactics to keep us at bay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I think what we have to do is be faithful and keep trying to develop the, mm-hmm. the, the intellectual and scientific program.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, it's been a privilege and a delight to have Bill Dembski on uh, this program. The Darwiner Design Program is uh, really exploring this very edge of discussion between the neo-Darwinian theory, which is still dominant in the university world, really across the secular West, and the newer theory, the paradigm of intelligent design, which really traces its roots in the uh, mid to late 80s in the work of um, uh, Michael Denton, uh, other scholars such as Thaxton and Bradley and others. And, of course, then as, as early as 19- Nineteen ninety or ninety one, Bill Dembski, the one that uh, the gentleman who has been so gracious to be with us on the program today, really set forward the foundation blocks of intelligent design through the program of detection. Bill Dembski, uh the best to you on your new book, Design of Life, and thanks again for joining us.
2: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
1: Okay, we'll try to have you on here here in another six months for a progress report. Well, it's great to have Bill Dembski with us. And uh, of course, we are trying to each week probe not only the scientific issues, but the worldview uh, dimension. The issue of, is there a designer of my life? Not just of the universe as big and as wonderful as that question is, or of the origin of life, the first cell? You know, that's a fascinating question. The evidence seems to be really tilting in favor of a designer of the first cell based on the uh, hard drive of information that a, even a single bacterial cell needs, the reams of information in the DNA. But specifically, Bill Carl and Tom Woodward and you, the listener. We each have a precious gift handed to us by the intelligent designer. It's life, and it's meant to be lived to the fullest. And when I was a skeptic, when I was an adamant Darwinist in my freshman year at Princeton University, I began to be nagged by the question, could there possibly actually be a designer? There was something in my heart that seemed to say that. There was some kind of almost a whispering of, a, of, a, of an unanswered question mark, you know, dangling in my mind. And so uh, it wasn't until I began to investigate, and that's what this program is all about, is leading the you all out there listening each week uh, as we try to investigate on our side and you listen in and co-investigate on your side, whether there is a designer and even more, how this designer, the designer that we uh, who are Christians have come to know in the person of the designer of of life named Christ, uh, how he can be known because he literally knocks at the door of our heart. It says uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 3, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and have dinner literally have fellowship <laughs> have a Starbucks cup of coffee uh, I will come in and have fellowship with you and you with me and of course through what Christ did in paying for sins and for uh, and in rising from the dead and proving that he has power over life he also has power to give us life and so we hope that uh, you're experiencing the fullness of life and uh, we expect you to uh, make the most of this wonderful information from Bill Dembski and join us next week again for Darwin or Design